Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. We're going to take a look today at vetting our next deal by looking at the data, which we can never get enough of understanding the processes of underwriting. So with us today is Robert J. Finley, who is the CEO and founder of 30 Capital. He spent more than two decades building a portfolio of commercial real estate and securitized assets. He is a financial advisor, service a firm owner, and owner of the Academy for Commercial Real Estate Finance and innovation. He's also the asset manager and real estate advisor for his firm, and he has background in numerous technology platforms for commercial real estate. So welcome, Robert, and take us into the show and share an experience that helped you to be who you are today. Well, great. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here. Really interesting story. Back in uh, probably the late 90s, I was working on Wall Street in, in securitized debt. This was when CMBS was was very new. And um, we were putting this, this prepayment provision in our, our loan documents called the defeasance. And nobody ever heard of a defeasance back in the late 90s. Well, fast forward to a couple of years later, and I get a call from a borrower and they said, hey, you put me in this defeasance. I need to get out of this loan. I'm about to sell my property. It's, uh, you know, I've got this huge windfall about to happen, but I'm having this problem because of this defeasance. So I said, oh, okay, no problem. I, you know, also not really understanding the complexities of what a defeasance is. So I turn around, I, I look at it and, and we call the loan servicer. Loan servicer comes back and is like, yeah, you can't do this. Nobody's doing defeasances. Mind you, this is 1999, late 99 and nobody had ever done a defeasance. So all of a sudden, that was my aha that that changed who I am today. I immediately opened up a company called Defease with Ease or Commercial Defeasance is known by, by some people. And since 2000, we've become the leading provider of defeasance services to borrowers and owners of commercial real estate. Well, wonderful. Well, since you brought up defeasance here, explain to us what is a defeasance. Sure. Well, a defeasance is, is simply a substitution of collateral. The loans, when they get securitized, have different sizes, right? So it's not like a, a residential pool. You might have, when loans get securitized, you might have a $100 million loan in there with a $20 million or a $5 million loan. And so in order to keep the rates lower and sell the bonds off to investors, there needs to be some sort of call protection. And so that call protection is basically a defeasance. And so the defeasance is just a way where borrowers can get out of their loans by substituting collateral. Instead of the collateral being for the real estate, collateral is now treasuries or government securities that fulfill the obligations of the original note. So the, at, a, at a defeasance transaction, borrower gets their property back and the lender still gets paid in whole as they agree to. Well, interesting. So, Robert, what types of commercial assets are you primarily involved in? 30 Capital, which is our parent company, is a uh, is a boutique CRE, a commercial real estate advisory, capital markets, technology, and principal firm. We focus on different avenues within the real estate spectrum. So probably our biggest allocation is of securitized debt. 
being from CMBS, CLOs, you know, things like that. But additionally, we are principals in where we have direct ownership, primarily multifamily and office, a little bit of retail tuned in every so often, some affordable housing and senior housing, but primarily focused on the multifamily space. As a, a JV, as an investor, we invest, invest across the spectrum in all sorts of instruments such as debt, we do preferred equity. We'll do mezzanine as well as JV and, and LP equity, depending on all geographic locations and uh, and property types. Sounds like a, a quite a quite a firm there, and quite uh, diversified in a lot of different assets there. Well, what are the most important metrics to consider when evaluating any kind of a real estate deal? Well, I think it, it depends on on the position that, that you're looking at. So as I said, 30 Capital, we we do a lot of things from you know, being a, a, an investor, we provide services to owners and operators, but we're also a principal. So from a principal hat, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question as a principal, as somebody who's actually going in there and investing the deal. I think one of the most important things that we look at is is really obviously location, right? So location is always, you know, you learn that in, in you know day one of, of real estate school. But I think more importantly, what we look at is we try to look at a forward projection. I think what we've seen in the past is that we've been in this hot time of commercial real estate where everything is tend to go up. Now, as interest rates have gone up considerably, underwritings have become tighter, the operational importance and, and really looking at things the way they're going to be forecasted is the most important. So from that standpoint, that location, now take a look at, we look at demographics and trends. We look at, primarily, we look a lot at forward rates, forward interest rates. And then we we really look at current benchmark and operations. So that's one of our, our biggest things, right? It's We can see, and when we go to a market, um, in fact, we actually have a company that does this for others, but we go in and we will identify a competitive market set and we will analyze their operations along with the subject properties operations to determine if there's opportunities for improvement. So those are really the things that we're looking at. Well, interesting. Sounds like you have a really well-developed team and process there. And I'm assuming that on your team, you have people with varying expertise, those that are looking at operational forecasts, those that are looking at demographic trends, others that are looking at current benchmarks, and those who are looking at the competitive market. That sounds like a whole lot for one individual to take on. And I guess that's what your advisory firm is there to help us with. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I mean, this obviously is, uh, we're talking about real estate and investing. And, and I think that's really the most important thing is, is to get back to the fundamentals. But even yes, we're at a very different situation than a single person investor going out and trying to invest in, in properties. Yet the stakes are just as high, right? So you're, you know, we've been doing this for a long period of time. Before I spent my time on Wall Street, I grew up in a property management and uh, property brokerage firm. So I understand the importance of the operational side as much as I understand the capital markets and the structured finance. And I think what's the important thing that as an individual investor, yes, you probably are not going to get as in-depth as forward curves and forecasting and things like that. But you need to understand the concept of it and be able to track down help to be able to understand those things. And by that, when we just talk just generally on forward curves and forward rates, a lot of times when, when I put my investor hat on, somebody comes to us and will show us a deal and they'll have an exit cap that is, I don't know, 100 basis points higher than you know, what they bought it for, right? That's the 
traditional. But yet, if we look at, at, at forward rates, you look at some inflationary issues, that forward rate actually is so that, that means that the property could potentially sell for a cap rate that's below what a standard treasury rate is, right? That probably is not going to happen, right? So there are things like that, that that we look at. And so I don't think investors have two sort of solutions. They can go try to figure this all out on themselves. They can find the expertise where they can, or be very good at certain property types, asset types, and markets that they truly know. And that really helps a lot. Yeah, a specialization, I think, is probably a really good idea, particularly for smaller operators. And there are so many shiny objects out there, and it is easy to get uh, distracted. Rob, how much time should one spend really on that process of uh, that initial due diligence? Well, I think you spend as much time as you don't want to lose money, right? I mean, these are this is in the buy. And and right now, the people, when you think about this, and, and I'm, I'm going to generalize sort of multifamily in this particular context. We have not purchased a an asset in probably 18 months. We've invested in some, but we have not bought one principally. But the last time we looked at a deal or the last time we sold it a deal, which was in the fourth quarter of last year, we had 65 bidders for one of our properties. So you have to be, and you know, if you win, you're the one who paid the highest, right? If you're, if you're the winning bid, you're the one who's offered to pay more. So your due diligence, time and effort is critical. You've got to figure out how you're going to buy this property and operate it. And especially now where, where the market is not as easy, rents are not just naturally going to go up. Buyers aren't just naturally coming to the table. And I think this is where your due diligence and, and more importantly, on how you're going to operate this property is going to be really important. I mean, that was just not un- unusual a-, a year ago, uh, 65 bidders on one particular property. I mean, the market was extraordinarily hot. And it's just amazing to me that people were continuing to buy these properties. And I shook my head many a times and wondering how in the world they were returning anything at all to their investors. How in the world were they not losing? And I was uh, just yesterday talking to one of my guests who said there's something like 64 million or so loans that are coming due within this next year. What is your take on what the market is going to look like here within the next, within this, this particular year, 2003? I think between this next year and the following year, I think is going to be a period of resetting for commercial real estate. I think I've been fortunate or unfortunate enough to live through many crashes, 2007, the 97, 98, before that in the late 80s. So, you know, I've, I've been through this a couple of times. I think that there, there, once again, it's going to be an interesting time. This is going to be, we're going to see a dynamic shift of wealth between one group to another in terms of investors. You're going to have a group of people who have plenty of capital sitting on the sidelines, and they are going to be buying properties and loans at a discounted rate. And there are people who bought these properties a year, two years, three years ago, four years ago, that don't have not made the numbers work. So it's going to be that. I think that that we're going to see that. So I think we're going to see some a remarkable adjustment in pricing valuations and uh, and quite frankly, as I said, and 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 uh, net worth or worth of a lot of investors. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. 
Well, that's, I guess, like all resets, that's good news for some people and very tragic news for others. And I've been through, I was went through 2008 myself, and it was a disastrous uh, reset for me. I plan never to be in a situation like that again, and so have certainly watched uh, the leveraging side of the coin because that was really what killed me in 2008. And that's what's going to kill people here too. Yeah, it's right. And, it's- you know, I, I think that's going to not only the, the the leverage, but there's other things outside the market that people aren't really talking about. Yeah. And there are things like the SOFR transition, right? So LIBOR is going away in the middle of this year. You're going to get a letter if you have a floating rate loan that's indexed to LIBOR. You're going to get this letter out there and it's going to say, hey, you now are instead of LIBOR plus whatever, you're now SOFR plus whatever, and you have to go buy a cap. <laughs> cap prices are incredibly high right now. So you've got to think about as, as a real estate shop, you might want to think about your leverage and your equity, but more, sorry, not leverage, but your equity positions, your how much cash you have on hand. Um, you've got to be tracking distributions and, and things like that uh, in capital improvements to properties. Right now, I think uh, we advise most of the owners out there to really be more mindful on cash preservation, cash flow management, and probably anything else out there. We've recommended for multifamily operators who have the ability to get supplemental debt. We've we've encouraged them to get supplemental debt. You know, we we have encouraged people to really be mindful on that what's what's going on. Really look at the data and really look at the numbers to really start to forecast what what we're starting to see. Inflation numbers. We're, you know, we just went through our budget period um, of our portfolio and everything else, and yeah, you know, we forecast. It's like listen, you know, average inflation rate last year was six and a half percent. How are we going? to keep our numbers down? How are we going to be less? How are we going to, and we've seen a slowing of, of rents and the affordability of rents, which are also a big factor. How are we possibly ever going to see these major improvements, not to mention insurance prices are, are through the roof? So don't mean to be in stand, sit on, you know, sit on my uh, sandbox or my box and 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 preach down. But we, we see this as a very interesting, very interesting and very challenging time for yeah. commercial real estate owners, but also an opportunity, like you said. Yeah. I've heard some people say that uh, the LIBOR going away is not going to be a big deal. And then others are saying, yes, it is going to be a big deal. And you seem to be of the opinion that it is going to make a huge difference. And so if you could talk a little bit more about that, just gives a little bit more understanding why the the LIBOR is going away, is going to make a difference. You had mentioned that it has to do with the cap rate. So give us a little bit more understanding of that. Yeah. So let's be clear. It's it's not cap rates, cap prices. So when you get a floating rate deal, you're you're pegged and you have to buy caps. So if interest rates go so high, you're not going. You're you're limiting your oh, your. I, okay, I see. So, okay. so it's a cap. So that's a that's a derivative transaction. So you go uh-huh. to Thirty Capital Financial, our, our capital markets group, and say, hey, I need a cap at this strike price for this term, and they go out and they buy it. What's happening and where this is where where it all impacts a lot of borrowers is now that LIBOR is going away. We've been talking about this now for several years, so it's not like this is a surprise. But in our in our world, it's always nice to kick the can until it comes time. If there are different methodologies and different discussions and different ideas on how this is going to happen. And so by that, I mean, there's a derivatives uh, association that's saying, hey, this is the way it should be. You have lenders that are saying, hey, maybe it should be this way. But ultimately, what's going to happen is your floating rate loan, which is based on an index, which is LIBOR, plus a spread, 
And now they have to replace LIBOR because LIBOR, as I said, is going away. Mm -hmm. And now they have to look at your loan documents to determine what type of language is in your loan document that states if LIBOR is no longer available, you get this. Mm -hmm. And it could be prime. It could be in the best world. And so the people who are telling you, oh, it's no big deal. It's, you know, government's got it. It's all big. I disagree. I, I, I respect mm -hmm. your opinion, but you're going to have to basically reset your loan. And while you're the, the price that you pay sometimes, or maybe, maybe not, is going to be, it's, it's probably gonna be fairly similar, but it could be a couple basis points mm -hmm. higher than what you're paying right now. But you're going to have to go back now and buy this sofa cap in many cases. So you're going to go out on the market and and yeah, to, to give you an idea, I mean, this this could be a couple hundred thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. So if you're out there and you're in this market and you have to buy a cap, you have to write a check, go buy a cap. That wasn't expected. That's not going to your property. So these are the things that, that we're trying to really educate investors, borrowers on. Because, and that's where I, I come back to the, this is the time of cash management. This is the time of debt optimization. This is the time of making sure that you're going to make it through this next cycle. This is about being aware of demographics and trends and how you're going to evaluate your current portfolio and have some gunpowder to go buy opportunities when they arise. So when the, the LIBAR resets, whether or not your loan is coming due, everybody is going to be affected. Is that what you're telling me? I'm saying, if well, you, yeah. if you have a floating rate loan, you're going if, to if be. If you affected. have a floating rate, you know, it's not if your loan is coming due, it's just that it, right. it changes from a LIBOR to a SOFR. So it changes from LIBOR as the index to SOFR as the index plus a spread. But because your original loan had a cap, an interest rate cap mm -hmm. on LIBOR, LIBOR is no longer used. You now do an interest rate cap on SOFR. And so the in, the cost of that cap today is a lot greater mm -hmm. than it was two years ago right. or whatever. So the point I'm trying to make is that investors who have floating rate loans must be prepared and must be looking at this potential liability that is coming due in the next few months. That's what we're talking about is trying to make sure that the investors, so it doesn't matter. It's it's people who have floating rate loans who have a longer term, right? They, they have another year, another two years on their floating rate loan. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that, that I think need to be prepared and understand what the cost is. There's a lot of technical ambiguity in some of this. There's term SOFR, there's compounded SOFR. So there, there's a lot of there's a lot of ambiguity. And so it just pays for people to go do the research and be prepared. The worst thing is to come in on you know, June 30th, you get a letter from your servicer and they say, hey, dear Alan, thank you so much for being a loyal customer of us. Your, your rate now is, you know, as, as we know, LIBOR is going away. Here you go. You have 30 days to go buy this cap and good luck. Well, I mean, we can hope the financial uh, industry uh, realizes some of the implications here and uh, hopefully they'll go gently and easily into this as, as much as possible. But I would never count on that. <laughs> somebody's got to pay, right? Yes, so, somebody's got to pay. Yep. You signed up for it in your loan loan agreement, never thinking that LIBOR was going to go away. So he never thought about this. So it really is not a financial industry. It's it's basically the government has changed LIBOR because of it can be manipulated and it's going away. Yeah, This is what's happened. So they've enacted this. So 
It's really... Yeah, I'm not sorry to see the LIBOR go away because it was so easily manipulated and was a, one of the major, I think, implications for the 2008 crash was the manipulation of the LIBOR. So I'm not sorry to see it go. But in any transition like that, it, uh, it there, uh, as you point out, it could be a very, very painful uh, transition for those not prepared for it. Just in summing up here uh, real quickly, what are the major pitfalls that we should be particularly aware of when analyzing uh, property uh, financials? Well, I think the, the pitfalls, I mean, there's a lot of them, right? So it's one is actually looking at right numbers, right? And, and you know, I think one of the interesting things, and we've, we've looked at properties, different chart of accounts, right? So you have this property comes in at this chart of account, and you have to tie it into to this chart of account. So so understanding and realizing, looking at the financials is one thing, and making sure you're, you're matching apples to apples is really the, the, the key thing. And that takes, that's a challenge, right? That is challenging. Mm-hmm. I might Absolutely. have yeah. as, you know, elevator repair, but it could actually be, yeah, I don't have an elevator repair. So I'm going to, you know, do I put it in repairs and maintenance? So, so first of all, coming up with, with apples and apples, I think is number one. The second thing I, I look at when we, we analyze financials is where there was an assumption before that we've had, which is we can improve these numbers, right? We're, we're good operators because we just, we are, we, there's no basis to it, but yes, we're, we're good operators. So we're going to improve these numbers. I think that's, that's sort of in this day and age, the next thing to really focus on is where do you stack up in the market relative? So a peer-to-peer benchmarking is critical. Is there opportunity? Is is this property that I'm buying operated to the best of its ability? Is it, is it in the highest quartile for revenue and expenses and NOI or and and uh, NOI margin? Is this really? Am I really going to improve this property, or am I buying a really nice property and I have to think about that? Or is there really a lot of room? And if so, where is that room? So I think those are really the, the pitfalls are assuming that we're going to be able to buy something and immediately fix it in this inflationary market. Wonderful advice. And it is so nice to have uh, someone with your expertise with us today. So thank you, Robert Finley, for being with us today. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill. Like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience. So please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.